Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. soaking up the different voices and I love the fact that we get to share this platform with so many, um, such a diverse um, group of people. So it's a privilege to be here. So good morning. For those of you who may not know me, I'm Jen. I'm the other half of Bretto. Um, one of the I don't know about that sometimes. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, my name's Jen. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. So good to have you here. Um, Dave um, gave me the beautiful topic this morning, just a really light topic for Sunday morning, um, speaking on the move of resilience. It's such an important topic, so I feel privileged, but um, it's around suffering and persecution. So um, just a lighthearted topic for us to tackle this morning but you know what I've been really praying a lot this week and um, you know I think above all I think what we need to hear what the church needs to hear and what the world needs to hear is a message of hope and my prayer is that this morning that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would leave feeling and equipped feeling empowered, strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit to, um, yeah, to, to face wherever you're at, whatever's happening in your life. And I was going to start today by sort of asking you to put your hands up, but I thought, oh no, maybe that's a little bit vulnerable for people. I was going to sort of say, you know, if you have ever experienced, you know, bullying at school, if you've ever experienced, you know, the loss of someone close to you that you love, if you've ever been in a situation of conflict that's been really difficult, if you've ever had sleepless nights, uh, concerned or anxious about the plight of your children, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to continually stand in the gap for someone in your family that um, is potentially dying of a terminal illness? Have you ever been in a situation where your financial burdens are at the point where you see that there's no hope or no way out? Have you ever been in a situation where you feel overwhelmed in the midst of despair? I wonder, and I could keep going. The thing that we share and the challenge we have is that we have a shared humanity, right? That if I asked you to put your hand up, I'm pretty confident that you would be able to look around this room and that there's not one of us, sadly, that escapes the reality of suffering in our world and heartache and brokenness 
And it's a challenging topic, not just for the church. I think it's a challenging topic for the world at large. And I actually think it creates so much confusion, particularly for people who don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus because it can be confusing. Where's God in the midst of suffering? But the good news and the news that I want to tell you today is that Jesus is right in the midst of suffering. That Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is is continually bringing transformational change in and through the most broken of situations. That our hope is in the name of Jesus and that our hope is in the person of Jesus. And so the book of Acts is what we're, we're looking at, right? It's a continuation of the whole narrative, the story of God's love for us through the sacrifice of Jesus and the empowering of the apostles to carry out the message of God's love to humanity. But sadly, none of us really escape the reality of the fact that we go through some seasons and some times, and I'm aware that there are potentially people right here today that may be in the middle of a really challenging season. So my prayer today is that the Lord will bring a sense of peace and healing as I deliver this message and a message of hope to you. But before we start, I just want to preface by saying by no means am I an expert in this particular topic. It's a lifelong journey for me to discover, to tackle, to wrestle with the reality of suffering in our world and to walk alongside people who are walking in the midst of brokenness and stuff, suffering. And it's a privilege and actually it's a challenge because sometimes when we're walking that closely in the context of community and in the context of some of the places Kingsway walk, there's a cost involved as well. So let me pray because I really, um, yeah, just been praying for God's grace and God's... Um, God will help me this morning to deliver this message in a way that empowers and lifts the church to a place of strength and resilience and faith. So let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you that you are not an absent God, that your word says, Lord, in the Psalms, that you know our thoughts, you know when we stand, you know when we sit, you know our thinking from afar. Lord, that every detail of our life, Lord God, is before you. And so I pray, Father, to this morning that, there, that you would meet each person where they're at. And Lord, I pray, Father, I thank you for that beautiful promise in Ephesians that you can do immeasurably more than anything that we could ever ask, dream, or imagine according to your power at work within us. So, Lord, this morning I want to pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would know the hope to which we are called, and that we would know, God, your immeasurable greatness towards us. I pray, Lord God, for those who are suffering today, Lord, that there would be a message of hope, that, that this morning, Lord God, that they would know, each person would know who is online and in this place today, that there is a God in heaven that loves them, that sees them, 
And Lord God, I pray, Father, that this message of hope would bring about a transformational experience in all of our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about uh, persecution and suffering. Um, and the book of Acts really is a continuation of God's story unfolding amidst persecution. And so we, um, you don't get too far in Acts because before you're actually confronted with the story of Stephen's stoning. And so if you would like to follow on with me this morning, I'm reading from Acts 7. And I'm starting at verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, so Stephen had just given an account before um, the Sanhedrin um, about the experience with the risen Jesus. Um, so they were, the Sanhedrin, that's who they were, um, heard this. They were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I have seen heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And we know that Saul was a persecutor at that particular point in the story. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he heard this, he fell asleep. Verse 8, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Sometimes I think when we look at this passage, we look at persecution like some sort of um, church growth strategy. I don't, I've been, uh, for those of you who don't know, I've had the privilege of um, serving alongside the persecuted church for nearly 25 years. And persecution in and of itself is horrendous. There is nothing in any way shape or form about any kind of human rights abuse or the language of people suffering because they love Jesus. There is nothing about that that is glorious. It's horrendous. The stories are horrendous. And what I think we can so easily overlook in this particular passage is those small words, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. The extent of suffering that happened in the midst of persecution created an amazing amount of opportunity and potential for the power of God to work in the midst of miracles, 
in the midst of breakthrough and in the midst of church growth. But like we've preached on before, it's kind of like this train track, right? That there's great joy about what God's doing and incredible sorrow and mourning because the cost for many people is very high. And in particular in this moment, for Stephen, it cost him his life. So where does that place us? Where does that place us in the midst of this journey? In the midst of a journey where the Bible talks about persecution, those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. So what does that actually mean for us in this context? And how do we grow resilient in the midst of our own trials, but also in the midst of our church? Because I believe what we miss this is we individualise the fact that there was Stephen who was resilient in the midst of this through the empowering of the Holy Spirit and what God was doing in his life. But what we also, or what I wonder or I'm curious about, is actually the resilience of the church in that moment. It didn't operate in isolation. It operated as a unified, collective body working together, praying together, loving together, serving together, giving together, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The empowering of the Holy Spirit, the, that passage of scripture where Stephen um, is in that vulnerable moment comes directly after Peter and John were imprisoned for healing the lame man. That there was a prayer movement, and I believe wholeheartedly that the strength that Stephen had in that particular moment was a direct result of the church being obedient to the tools that Jesus had given them through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, but being obedient to the fact that they were praying and interceding on behalf, I believe, of Stephen in that moment that there was a role that the church was playing in partnership with God, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, that they saw a shift and a change. And I think the most amazing thing about this story, about the stoning of Stephen, is that Stephen wasn't a victim in this. He was a person of agency. He was the person that was a victor, Imagine in that moment being able to, to pray a prayer. The prayer that he prayed was just a miracle in and of itself. He may not have got the miracle of life in that moment, but the miracle of what God was doing in that man's life in that moment amidst the worst persecution is a miracle in and of itself. And the faith that that must have had for the church to hear that Jesus was standing with him in that most vulnerable place where his impending death was just about to happen. Jesus was there. Jesus did not abandon him in that moment of need. And he will not abandon you either, because that's the God we serve, a God of hope, a God of victory, a God of breakthrough. And the church 
when we come together as the collective body of Christ, the promise is, is that the victory is ours. We are not victims. We are victors in the midst of all situations. Does that remove the pain? No, because we can see in Scripture that the apostles, that the godly men who were burying him grieved deeply in the midst of what was happening. And I think the interesting thing for me in this is that the challenge with suffering I see time and time again is that it often disorients us. It's why we have the Psalms, right? We have the Psalms, and I think as Walter Brueggemann talks about the Psalms of creation, so everything's like really cruisy, and then there's the disorientation, the Psalms of disorientation and the Psalms of reorientation. These scriptures are there because we go through moments in our life when tragedy happens or, or suffering happens and we feel disoriented. And the interesting thing when I look at this and I do a fair bit of research um, in regard to a person's healing journey in the midst of trauma, what fascinates me in the midst of this is that offering tr- offer, often trauma robs a person from their God-given identity. It's the first thing in persecution that, that a lot of pers- people who have um, faced persecution struggle with. The truth of who they are. And actually, in persecution, the one thing, if you look at what happened through um, the persecution of Christians in China, the one thing that often is targeted is their identity. It's the thing that's most questions. It's the thing that they target. It's the fact that they give someone a number. In the Holocaust, they removed people's identity, their name, and gave them a number. It's the robbing of identity. And yet here we see in this scripture and with Stephen that his identity was in Christ. It could not be taken. It could not be shaken and neither can yours and that's the gift that Jesus gives each one of us. That we are children of God. That we are God's children. We have an identity in Christ. We have a hope in Christ. We have a purpose in Christ. That he is continually outworking in our lives and yet when we face trauma, when we face suffering, often for me that's the first thing I question when I lose that sense of who I am in the midst of suffering and and challenge, I need the body of Christ to be working together to remind me again of who I am in Christ, that there is hope, that there is purpose in the midst um, of the challenge that I may be walking through. And I believe that it's the number one strategy of the enemy because our identity is foundational to our connection, our belonging, and our experience of God's love. And so if you can rob someone of their identity, potentially you can rob them of the experience of God's love in those most raw and tender moments of vulnerability and suffering. So what is it about the apostles and the church in Acts that made them the targets of outsiders' unwavering opposition? Generally, it's because persecution is because the church is actually called to live counterculturally. So because of the apostles' ministry was so effective, 
The um, Sadducees were filled with jealousy. It talks about that in Acts 5. Um, it also talks about um, that, that Paul sees ongoing persecution as a normal feature of their Christian ex existence. Now, this is really an interesting perspective that we need to take, particularly being um, a church in the Sutherland Shire. <laughs> we have not experienced persecution. And I know that there is some thinking out there and there's some thoughts out there in regard to the fact that the church is increasingly being persecuted. Can I tell you, it's not. We are not persecuted. Yes, we go through suffering. And I know there would be some people that may have a difference of opinion, but persecution, this is complex. I can't go into it this morning because I don't have time, but... Really, in a sense, God has given us such an amount of incredible freedom within our context, within the place that we live. Persecution is, if you want to experience persecution, go to Afghanistan, go to Saudi Arabia, go to Pakistan, Iraq, Syria. We do not, in my opinion, we are not suffering for persecution. But because we're not independent, we are the body of Christ. It is, we are instructed in, in Scripture to mourn with, the, with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, there's no doubt that the suffering and the persecuted church is a resilient church. I don't have time to share all the stories, but time and time again, I am just astounded at both the humility, the joy the church has across the world. And the interesting thing is, is we kind of sense that we're the norm, but actually the persecuted church is the biggest part of the body of Christ, the suffering church. And so sometimes in me, it's been really kind of um, a challenge to live kind of between two worlds, you know, and to work out how do, I take, how do I take the teachings and the learnings and the stories and the experience and put it in our context so that we too can experience resilience and grow as a resilient church. And I believe we are. And I believe that part of that is because as a church, we feel we have a unique calling to position ourselves in the community to walk alongside those who are, who are broken, like we're all broken. I don't think I'm any different. And I believe God is calling us to be a resilient and strong church, but how do we do that? What's interesting is that there's a body of research that supports the underlying spiritual practices that Paul constantly talks about in the New Testament. Shouldn't be no surprise to us, right? Because it's the power of God at work in and through the gospel. And Paul constantly urges the church to follow his teaching and his example. So this, um, there was a TED talk by the name of Lucy Hone, and these are the three things that she, she's a doctor, she lost her own child, and she said these are the three things that she's seen time and time again in this TED talk that have 
continue to equip people and to boost their resilience. The first thing she said is that resilient people accept the truth that suffering is a part of life. This doesn't mean that they welcome it in. It just means that when the tough times come, they seem to know that suffering is part of this life that we live. Knowing this stops you from feeling like you're discriminated against. The, the context, I think, the challenge we have in our context is that shiny, happy lives are expected or they're no norm. And sometimes I get concerned with the church because this is a hard topic to bring, right? I want the shiny topics because they're a little bit easier to preach on. But the crazy thing is, and the truth is, we see in Paul and we see in the examples, is that the Holy Spirit is always, always, always working in and through all of our heartache. And we live in the here but not yet. So we see these glimpses, amazing glimpses of you know, heaven on earth where we see miracles and we see God's power at work within people's lives and we see people's lives transformed. But there is still evil and suffering. There's still brokenness. There's still pain. And so until we, this side of heaven, we won't fully experience what it's like to cry no more tears. And I think sometimes my concern is, is when the people are in the midst of a long time prayer moment where they don't sense they're getting breakthrough, they start to question the existence of God. God is always at work and with us in the midst of suffering. Second thing, resilient people are really good at where they focus their attention. Manage to focus, they manage to focus their attention on the things they can change and they accept the things that they can't. She goes on to say that um, resilience is a learnable skill and resilient people don't diminish the negative. And I was thinking about this and she said they are deliberate intentional effort to tune into gratitude. Looking at the New Testament again and the amounts of times Paul's written throughout um, the letters to the churches, how many times does he talk about gratitude? An incredible, incredible encouragement to us of practice of gratitude in the midst of suffering and challenges that we focus on the things of God as a discipline. And resilient people, the third thing is, resilient people ask themselves, is what I'm doing helping me? You see, I love this framework because we're not victims. Stephen was not a victim. By the very fact that we have a gift in the Holy Spirit, we are not left alone. That God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is always doing a transformational work in and through us in all situations. Ephesians 3 talks about that beautiful passage of scripture that talks about strength. 
is what I'm doing helpful to me? I thought that was a great question. And sometimes, you know, my confession would be that not all the time what I'm doing is helpful to my growth or helpful to a situation. What do you turn to in the midst of moments of incredible um, stress or, or trauma or suffering? We all have life path moments where our journey splits. And the journey we thought we were on has just randomly taken a different route. But what I'm here to share with you today is that beautiful promise that God makes a way in the wilderness. And that the body of Christ, when we work in unity, in one purpose, and we look out for one another, we become resilient. And we enable, I believe, the power of God to be at work in all situations. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.